Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, before we do get started, I want to encourage you as you make your travel plans, remember johnnydollarair.com. Uh, johnnydollarair.com is a Priceline affiliate, so you get all the benefits of going through Priceline, uh, such as being able to uh, name your own price on hotels, rental cars, airline tickets, or more, or choose from great published specials. Uh, and uh, part of the purchase price goes to support the great detectives of old-time radio at no cost to you. So just remember, uh, johnnydollarair.com first. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air date, March the uh, 23rd of 1958. And the title is The Denver Dispersal Matter. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Perry Jameson, the Paramount Insurance Adjuster, Johnny. Hi, Perry. It's been a long time. I'd begun to think you're neglecting me. Oh, how you talk. Matter of fact, I've just been waiting for a nasty enough case to come along for you. Yeah, you do have a habit of handing me the dirty ones. What is it this time? Four states, out in Denver. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Well, they're a small outfit. By contract, all their claims are rooted through us. Damage appraisals, payment dispersals, and so on. So what's happened? Well, we've had to pay a lot of claims for them recently. Too many. What's more, they've all been big ones and on fairly young policies. Well, Perry, you know as well as I do that things will average out in the long run. Unless something's wrong. 60000 on one policy, 35000 on another, 70000 and a cool 150000 on one just last week. Shoot. And the beneficiary in each case has been the same man. Then no wonder you... Just leave the door open, Perry. I'll be right over. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. The Paramount Insurance Adjusters Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Denver dispersal matter. Expense account item one, a dollar ten for the cab that took me over to Perry Jameson's office at Paramount. True to form, the door was wide open for me. I kind of thought this thing might get you down here in a hurry, Johnny. Sit down. Yeah, thanks. And I took the liberty of calling TWA and getting you a seat on the plane to Denver. Good idea. When? Well, there's one leaving New York at 6 p.m. Okay. And I'll get you into Denver about, oh, 10.30 mountain time. Uh-huh. Think you can make it? Sure. Charge your expenses to us. That's the deal we have with four states. All right. And the man to see out there, which almost a one-man outfit, his name is William Whitney. Got it. Now, look, Perry, I've been thinking on the way over here. Woohoo! Wonders we'll never see. Thanks, pal. But how well do you know this man, Whitney? Well... Uh, Maybe he's in cahoots with this big beneficiary, this Don Ricardo. Is that his name? Yeah. Such things have happened. No, no, Johnny, you're wrong. Poor old Willie Whitney's a mild, timid, milk toast. 
His wife, an ex-chorus girl who probably thought he had money. Well, you can be sure she's the one who wears the pants in the family. Willie would cringe at the thought of hurting a fly. Well, it was an idea. I don't blame you, but no, forget it. Well, what makes you so sure something's wrong? Well, I didn't say I was, but 215000 to one beneficiary in a period of only three months. Well, I just want to be sure it's okay. And I called you in because I am willing to pay to make sure. No, don't worry, Perry. You will. Expense account item two, $141 even, plane fare and incidentals, Hartford to New York to Denver. Originally Indian country, the Mile High City is now a maze of oil refineries, steel companies, grain mills, chemical and manufacturing plants, a huge downtown shopping area, and beautiful tree-studded residential sections. No wonder it's one of the big insurance centers. Item three, two dollars even for a cab into town where I park myself at the world-famous Brown Palace Hotel. Item four, ten cents, phone call to an old newspaper pal from back east who is now working on the Denver Post. Pete Packard. Johnny Dollar, Pete Packard. Okay, what's the story? Johnny Dollar, okay, <laughs> how are you, Keith? Great, great. You gonna be here long? We gotta get together. Where are you staying? The Brown Palace. Hey, look, you, you want us to dig up a couple of dates? We'll go out on the town. Remember the last time we tied one on together? <laughs> Ooh, are you kidding? I had such a headache the next morning, it hasn't left me yet. Well, hey, look, listen. Pete, I get away from the desk at 2 a.m. No, you look. Huh? I'm out here on a job, insurance investigation. Did you ever hear of a man named Don Ricardo? You... You know Don Ricardo? No. What do you know about him? Well, uh, they say... Now, mind you, I, I, I don't know for sure, Keith, but... Don't forget, I did a hit show on the Chicago Sun-Times a few years back. What's that got to do with Don Ricardo? It was back in the days of the Capone mob. Oh. And uh, Don Ricardo, uh, well, mind you, nobody was ever able to pin anything on him. Yeah, I see what you mean. Where does he live, Pete? Oh, 20 or 30 miles east, the other side of Golden, a little place called Millville. Uh-huh. Now, now mind you, Keith, I, I, I don't want to really say anything against him. I... I mean, if I don't seem to be really telling you anything about it... Pete, I think you've told me plenty. Well, now listen, Keith. Thanks, and I'll be talking to you. It was late, and I was tired, but I went downstairs to the cocktail bar, and with the help of a big, fat tip for a nightcap, got some more lowdown on Don Ricardo. The bartender talked plenty. Yeah, it seems Ricardo was living the life of Riley in the little town of Millville. Lovely home, expensive cars, threw a lot of big, gaudy parties. And always for people from out of town, mostly Chicago or Miami Beach. Yeah, the bartender talked plenty. Until he spotted a lean, well-dressed, rather too well-dressed man sitting alone at one of the tables watching him. A man who'd somehow forgotten to take off the light gray hat that shaded his features and slightly narrowed eyes. The bartender clammed up. I paid for my drink, that's item five, and was conscious of being watched closely as I casually sorted out and took the elevator up to my room. First thing in the morning, I looked up the address of 4th State. Instead of the striking new mile-high center, as I'd expected, it was a dingy old office building on South Broadway. William Whitney looked a little old and dingy himself. Johnny Dollar, the special investigator? That's right, Mr. Whitney. Oh, well, sit down, won't you? All right, thanks. Just here on a visit? Uh, I'm here because the insurance adjusters are concerned about some recent claims they've had to pay on policies issued by you. We've been very unfortunate lately, Mr. Dollar. Yeah. $215,000 unfortunate on only four policies. Yes, and all paid to the same beneficiary by some odd coincidence. You sure it was coincidence? 
Who are the policyholders? Why, some old miners living over near Golden. Old miners insuring for those amounts? Yes, sir. They were all able to pay the premium. Give me their names. Yes, sir. Unless I'm cockeyed, there's something wrong with this whole thing, and I intend to find out what it is. The policies were issued in good faith, and the premiums paid. But I agree with you, sir, and I'm terribly concerned. I'm glad you're here, sir. It will not only save the company a lot of money, but it will take a great load off my mind. Here's the list. Yeah. Do you know the beneficiary, this Don Ricardo? Only through seeing him when I've given him the checks. Hmm. Barnell, Mulligan, R. Smith, and J. Smith. Did any of these insured have families? Well, I don't know. You see, the beneficiary in each case... Yeah, I know. Better let me see those policies. Whitney left me alone while I plowed through his files. Satisfied, at least, that the policies themselves were okay, I finally left him, hailed a taxi, and told the driver to head for the town of Golden. As we pulled away from the curve, a small black foreign car in the next block swung around and appeared to follow us. And I wondered... But then it cut off at an intersection, and I decided I was imagining things. Until we pulled up at one of the addresses Whitney had given me in Golden. A ramshackle, unpainted old frame house on the edge of town. I told the driver to wait for me and walk up to the front door. Hey, it looks to me like that house is empty, mister. You sure you give me the right address? Yeah, this is the address, all right. But I guess that... Huh? I don't know. Hello? Hello? Anybody? Mister! Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Our flag now numbers 50 stars. And behind each star, there stands yet another flag representing one of the 50 states. Vermont state flag in its early form imitated our national flag, uniquely bearing 17 stripes and 17 stars with only the inscribed word Vermont to distinguish it. The good people of Vermont assumed, as did our national government, that stripes as well as stars would be added as each new state entered the Union. Vermont entered the Union after Tennessee and Ohio, and with Kentucky to join shortly, the Vermonters naturally put 17 stripes on their flag. In 1818, the United States Congress put a stop to this. And since then, the stripes have always been at 13, and only stars are added for each new state. Vermont's present flag captures the famous beauty of the Green Mountain State in its coat of arms, and inscribed is the phrase, Vermont, Freedom and Unity. Vermont's state flag, the flag of the 14th state to enter the Union was adopted on April 26, 1923. And now, Act Two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Denver Dispersal Matter. The old house at the edge of Golden, Colorado looked empty, but I knocked anyway. You sure you give me the right address, mister? Yeah, driver, this is the address, all right. But I guess that... Huh? I don't know. Hello? Hello? Anybody? Mister! Mister! Oh, 
back. Get away from this open door. Oh, but you're but you're hurt. Your your neck. You're bleeding to death. Stay down. Barely nick me. I'm all right. Holy cow! I, I thought you was a goner. Here, let me help you. You'll need help if you don't stay out of his line of fire. Well, well who was it? You see anybody? Hey, listen. Yeah, that's a car pulling away from the back. Get a look at it. Well, oh, I can't can't tell that dusty side road back there. Looks like a little one though. Foreign car. Too far away now. I can't tell. But it's black. All right, come on. We're getting back into your cab. Yeah, yeah, I'll get you to a doctor. No, no, I'm okay. You know where Millville is? Sure, a few miles east. It's an old mining... Come on. Do you know where Don Ricardo lives? For sure, I... You... You want to go there? Does he own a small black foreign car? Yeah, real expensive job. I've, I've seen him in town. But, mister, come you... Come on, because I'll lay odds. He's the one who fired those shots. Uh... Do you mind if I drop you off a few blocks away from his place? The cab driver relented, dropped me off at Ricardo's front door, then hightailed it for other parts. It was a nice home, very modern, seemingly out of place in what had once been a prosperous mining center, but was now a little more than a ghost town. Yes? Mr. Ricardo? That's right. Who are you? I think you know, but I'll tell you anyhow. I'm Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator. Oh, come in, Mr. Dollar. We can sit in the den. Would uh, Would you like a drink? No, thanks. Well, what happened to your neck there? It's been bleeding. I will get to that later. I've been rather expecting someone like you to call in view of my good fortune in insurance money lately. Uh, sit down. You sure you wouldn't like a drink? Tell me one thing. Yes. Who paid the premiums on those four policies that netted you a couple of hundred grand? <laughs> Why, the policyholders, of course. At least, uh, to the best of my knowledge. Four old broken-down miners? They were still quite active, Mr. Dollar, hoping to find a new vein in some of the old workings in this region. Then maybe you grub-staked them, huh? Well, as a matter of fact, I did. And they promised me a share of whatever they might find. In return, they named me in their insurance policy. Oh, you must have given them plenty. More than a worked-out mine could ever yield. How do you mean? To afford the premiums on those hefty policies. Now, look, Dolly, it was all perfectly legal on the up and up. How old were they? Barno. Barno? About 68, I believe. Mulligan and Smith and the other Smith. About the same. So what? Oh, the company was crazy. How did they die, Ricardo? By some strange coincidence, the poor old fellows all went the same way. Accidents there in the mine they were working. Did the police investigate those accidents? I imagine so. Now, look, Ricardo... As you know very well, I was shot at a few minutes ago. Shot at? At a little isolated house on the edge of Golden. You were a lousy shot. I. Now, look here. Also, you should have known better than to park that little foreign job of yours in the driveway, at least without washing it down. What are you talking about? That kind of purplish dust it's covered with. Dust? Yeah, I'm talking about the side road back of that house where you tried to plug me. Well? Okay, okay, Dollar. Maybe you're right about the whole thing. So what if I did try to knock you off? Oh, you admit it, huh? Yeah, why not? But since I didn't kill you then... Oh, no, you're not. All right, all right, all right. Put him up. Face the wall, Ricardo. Get off of me. Get, come on, get your hands Officer, off. I've never seen a prettier uniform in my life. What is this? What is this? We've been waiting a long time to nail you, Ricardo. Get him out of here, boys. All right, take it easy. Pete! So help me, Keith, I knew if anybody would bring Ricardo out in the open, you would. You mean to say that... Yeah, I figured I'd bring these... Better bring these state police out here. Oh, Pete, you're a doll. Now let you and me go out and tear the town apart, huh? Later. After I finish this job. 
three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Over 150 years ago, the Swiss poet Henri Amiel wrote, Heroism is the brilliant triumph of the soul over fear. Heroism is the dazzling and glorious concentration of courage. During the Korean campaign, Corporal Ronald Rosser was attached to the heavy mortar company of the 38th Infantry, 2nd Division, United States Army. Rosser, a veteran of World War II, rejoined the army and shipped to Korea when he heard that his brother had fallen in the winter assault of the Chinese communists. One day, Rosser's company moved into enemy territory. At the time, the corporal was a forward observer and carried a radio. Suddenly, in the midst of an enemy attack, Rosser handed his radio to a buddy, slipped the safety off his carbine, and filled his shirt with hand grenades. He charged at the enemy through fierce mortar and artillery fire, shooting from the hip. Straddling a bunker, he riddled its occupants. Still advancing, he accounted for two more of the enemy, shooting one through the head and clubbing another to death. Continuing his one-man charge, he jumped into a trench full of enemy soldiers, opened fire and forced his way relentlessly down the length of the trench, killing right and left with grenades and carbine fire. Out of ammunition, he returned to his company, where he replenished his supply. Then he charged the enemy again and again. Finally, he returned to his own area, and taking the radio back from his friend, he moved out with his company. Corporal Ronald Rosser was awarded the Medal of Honor for his action. Action which had shown the enemy that his personal code of conduct wouldn't let them push around either his kid brother or his country. And now, Act Three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Denver Dispersal Matter. It took hours, even with Pete Packard's help, and he finally had to go back to his job at the Denver Post. But there in Don Ricardo's house, carefully hidden away under a drawer lining and a sideboard, I found what I was looking for. A handful of canceled checks. It was well after dark when I appropriated one of Ricardo's fancy cars and drove back to Denver. To a little house in the south end of town. Not far from the office of Four State Insurance Company. As I pulled to a stop, a big passenger truck nearly sideswiped me. Good. It covered the sound of my stopping there. As unobtrusively as possible, I walked up to the front door of the place. Even above the sound of passing traffic, I could hear voices, loud ones, coming from somewhere in the rear of the building. Cautiously, I edged my way around the side to where I could see the lighted window of a bedroom. All right, all right, I hate you. Only why don't you tell me why? Stop asking questions. Get the things back. Make sure it's only enough to put in the car. We're traveling light and fast. All right, Willie. All right, already. Boy, you're bossier than Don ever was when you want to be. Forget Don Ricardo and collect your stuff. If it wasn't for me, you'd still be working in one of his nightclubs in Chicago. Lucky you never talked this way down to that insurance office of yours. Oh, stop that. I thought we were going to stay in Denver until you made a lot of dough at the insurance racket, huh? I left this happy domestic scene to walk slowly back to the front door. Yep. My original hunch at the office in Hartford had been right. That's right. Oh, my, I'm glad you're here, sir. Well, you look upset, Mr. Whitney. I am, sir. I am terribly upset. Handbags? They're in the hall? Yes. Going somewhere? It's that Don Ricardo. Oh? I thought you didn't really know him. I didn't. 
Oh, if only I'd done it before. I'd never have issued those policies naming him as beneficiary. Done what, Mr. Whitney? Investigated that, Ricardo. But I did, after you left me this morning. He's a gangster. An ex-gangster, Mr. Dollar. No. Yes. I suddenly realized that in your investigation, you'd, you'd investigate him. And he'd think I'd had you investigate him. He'd think I was trying to make trouble for him. Frightened me. Frightened me terribly. And that's why you decided to leave town, huh? Yes, yes, of course. Until this whole thing blows over. He's a dangerous man. He'd stop at nothing. He might even try to kill me. I must leave here immediately. Oh, I wouldn't be too sure of that. Where did you plan to go? Far away, anywhere, where he couldn't find me. And where maybe I couldn't find you. Of course. What? Why did you say that? Well, I was just thinking this morning when I was going through the files at your office. You left me alone for a while. Yes, yes, I recall that I did. Why? To make a phone call, maybe? To Don Ricardo? What? Is that why he just happened to be waiting in his little foreign car a block or so up the street about the time I left your office in a cab? Oh, Mr. Dollar! Pretty good theory, isn't it? Especially when I have these little scraps of paper to back it up. What are those? Some of Don Ricardo's canceled checks. Made out to you. Twenty percent of the take on those big, fat insurance payments. Where did you get those? Funny, too. They're all dated one day after you paid off on each of those big claims. Give me oh, those. No, you don't. I'm going to need these. No, I'll kill you. That's the milk toast, huh? You dirty... I'll kill you. Okay, baby. All right. All right. Okay, Willie, get up on your feet. Yes, sir. Anything you say, Mr. Dollar... But please, you must believe me. Oh, I'm cut an it. innocent that man. That timid soul palsy of yours may have sold insurance to a handful of suckers, wouldn't he? But it hasn't sold me a thing. Oh, I suppose you find them in every trade. That still doesn't justify their even being alive, though. Fortunately, in the insurance business, they never get away with it for long. Even a team like Whitney and Ricardo. I wonder if they're sharing the same cell. Expense accounts, item six, ten dollars to the doctor who sewed up my neck. Item seven, eighty-four dollars for a night on the town with Pete Packard. Strangely enough, I still have a bit of a headache from it. Expense account total, including a little gift to that taxi driver, incidentals and transportation back to Hartford, three hundred ninety-one dollars and eighty cents. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. star will return in just a moment. Our flag now numbers 50 stars, and behind each star there stands yet another flag representing one of the 50 states. Idaho's state flag depicts the prime industrial pursuit of its citizens, mining. Balanced against this image is a female figure combining the virtues of the goddess of liberty, for she carries the spear and cap of liberty, and the goddess of justice, represented by the scales in her hand. A bright shining star in the heavens is an indication that Idaho has joined the nation. Overall is the motto, Esto Perpetua, may she endure forever. Idaho's state flag, the flag of the 43rd state to enter the Union, was adopted on March 12, 1907. Now here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a killer's list. That's right. A list of victims. And guess who's on it? Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote today's story. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Forrest Lewis, Barney Phillips, Edgar Beria, Frank Gerstle, and Peter Leeds. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Coverley speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Andrew Ryan's with otrwesterns.com, where we stream live old-time radio westerns 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, with a special twist. You select the tracks that get to be played. We've got a thousand different episodes from shows like Gunsmoke, Tales of the Texas Rangers, Escape, Gene Autry, and many more. Come check us out at otrwesterns.com slash live. Again, that's otrwesterns.com slash live. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio with Adam Graham. And now, let's get back into the show. Welcome back. Interesting uh, descriptions of Denver worked in. Also like some of the uh, descriptions of what's going on in some of the state flags. It does seem like, uh, you know, Johnny talks about a few bad apples, but... uh, even in the Bob Bailey airs, it seems like they've got a ton of uh, the way the show's written. Uh, several corrupt uh, insurance agents, and a lot of them friends of Johnny's. Though I don't think we've uh, heard them as frequently as we did uh, back in 1956 and uh, early 57. All right, listener comments and feedback now. James emails in. I really want to thank you for all this work. I remember my grandfather talking about these shows, but never heard them myself. I laugh at how racist some of them are. In particular, the Johnny Dollar episode where the assistant was pretty much tried and convicted due to his Soviet last name. Um, well, James, thanks for the comment, but I want to talk about the point race in the wayward moth, uh, matter. Now, I hope I'm not stepping on a joke here, and if I am, I truly apologize. But sometimes things are referred to racist that really aren't racist, and, uh, the wayward moth matter is, uh, definitely not a racist story. It is true that the assistant was under heavy suspicion. Now, it wasn't just because of his last name. It was because of his last name. Plus, he had worked against the United States back during uh, World War II. However, at the end of the episode, he was exonerated. Now, 
if he had been guilty after people had convicted him based on heritage, then that would be a racist message. You see anybody with an Eastern block last name? They're all spies. That would have been the message. However, as he was found to be innocent, that would actually be an anti-racist message. The point of the episode would be that you can't follow paranoia or judge people uh, prejudicially. You have to follow the evidence. And you have to give people the benefit of the doubt and follow reasonable processes to arrive at the truth. Uh, Jack Johnstone, the producer of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, was also the producer of uh, Superman in the uh, mid uh, to late 40s when the show was taking on the Ku Klux Klan. And so I think that he would probably be the last one to countenance any sort of bigoted uh, ideas in his place. And now for some additional comments uh, regarding episode 1603. Uh, Michelle says, uh, Johnny Dollar is the best ever. Ben says, I love the show. High quality production, great writing, and hosted by the ever-informative Adam Graham. Awesome. And uh, Doris says, I love his voice. Assume that refers to Bob Bailey. Um, but uh, at any rate, that will do it for today. We will be back tomorrow with Dragnet. Next Friday, join us for another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. In the meantime, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.